Hi, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Hi, I'm Lauren, and today I'm joined by Robert Schwartz, hypnotist, speaker, and author. Rob also offers Between Lives Soul Regression. He has a workshop based on his books, which goes all over the world. And if you want to be involved in that, you can just head to his website and check out his events page. But I will leave a link for that in the show notes. I've asked Rob to join me today to discuss pre-birth planning, and I'm sure we're going to talk about Between Lives Soul Regression as well what it's all about, if we have a life plan, and what the point of this actually is. So Rob, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're welcome, Lauren. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure is mine because I um, recently uh, read your book, Your Soul's Gift, and I have to say that it was a big wow factor for me. I told tons of people about it while I was reading it. It's I got to say it changed the way that I looked at people around me. I kept thinking, oh, um, you know, I actually sent my family messages. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad we chose each other, you know? And uh, I always, you know, thought that I chose my parents and my family, but I, the way that the book articulated it really confirmed that for me. Before we get, you know, sort of into the subject, I really do like to know sort of how you know, my, my guest's spiritual journey did start. So do you think you could tell me a little bit about yourself first? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, I was actually in the corporate sector for a number of years. I have an MBA and was doing uh, marketing and communications as a self-employed consultant for a number of years. I, I did not enjoy that work at all. It was very unfulfilling. Uh, it also did not feel uniquely me, in other words, I always had the sense that if I were to just fall off the face of the earth, my clients would hardly even notice that I was gone. They would just plug somebody else into that role and carry right along. But there was this yearning within me to do something that is uniquely me, and also a sense that I should be doing something that was uniquely me, but I didn't know what it was, and I wasn't even sure how to figure out what it was. And so... I started uh, trying to solve this existential crisis uh, in very conventional ways. I, I went for career counseling, I took the Myers-Briggs inventory, and that was all quite interesting, but it didn't really tell me what to do with my life. And then I went to a lot of friends and family and I said, you know, I'm really unhappy doing this corporate work. What do you think I should do with my life? And that, by the way, is not a good question to ever ask another person. <laughs> About half the people I asked literally shrugged their shoulders and said, I have no idea. And the other half uh, told me that I should be doing whatever they were doing for a living, which <laughs> as you can imagine was not very helpful. So when none of these things shed any light on the matter, I thought, all right, I've got to think outside the box here. What can I do to figure out what I should be doing here on planet Earth? And this idea came to me, go see a psychic medium. Now, I have never done anything like that before. Mediumship was not part of my background. I have a very conventional background. I wasn't even sure if I believed in mediumship, but I thought, why not? Nothing else is working. I might as well give this a try. So I did this for the first time on May 7 of 2003. And in this session with the medium, she started by introducing me to the concept of spirit guides, which I had never even heard of at the time. 
And she had to explain to me that a guide is a highly evolved non-physical being with whom we plan our lives before we're born and who then guides us through our lives after we come into body. And then she started to channel my guides. And they said to me, you planned your life, including your biggest challenges, before you were born. And I will tell you, Lauren, I just shook my head and I said, well, why in the world would I have done that? Yeah. And said, yeah. And they said, you did this for purposes of spiritual growth. Now, coming as I did from a very conventional background, I probably would have dismissed all of this as some kind of hallucination on my part, except that they then launched into this very detailed explanation of what my challenges had been and why I had planned them. And they knew what all of my challenges had been without me telling them anything about myself. So that gave them total credibility. By the time this session was over, my mind was blown wide open. And for weeks afterwards, I kept thinking about this perspective over and over again. And the effect that it had on me, it created really a very deep healing because it allowed me to review my life and for the first time, see a deeper meaning or a deeper purpose to the challenging things that had happened. And then I thought, well, if this perspective can bring this kind of healing to me, surely it can bring a similar kind of healing to many others as well. It was at that point that I first started to think about writing a book on the subject. And then over the next few months, a lot of things happened. I started to have spiritual experiences for the first time in my life. I had a spiritually transformative experience in which I felt pure, overwhelming, divine, unconditional love for every person I saw. It only lasted about an hour, but it changed everything about how I think of myself and think of other people. And so between the session with the medium and that spiritually transformative experience and some other things that happened at the same time, I decided I'm leaving the corporate world. I'm going to try to write a book about how we plan our lives before we're born. And three years later, there was Your Soul's Plan. And then a few years after that, there was the second book, Your Soul's Gift. And by the way, if anyone's interested, you can read large excerpts at YourSoul'sPlan.com. Yes. Okay. And um, also sign up for your newsletter too, which is is a good way to start that. So there's so many things to discuss in what you said. I think that a lot of people that have these sort of conversations, and I know I can speak for myself, that we have this innate desire in our, in our being to find purpose, why we're here and to find answers. And uh, for me, my journey started with, you know, my fear of death. That's kind of what I really started delving into this spiritual world. So it's really interesting to find out how our pre-birth plan has kind of determined the decisions that we make in life and the experiences that happen to us. And I do want to know about that. But before that, can we talk a bit about how your book is laid out? Because you have some very interesting contributors. Yeah. So the way that I researched people's pre-birth plans was by working with several very gifted mediums and channels who in one way or another could find out what somebody planned before they were born and why they made those plans. So in the first book, Your Soul's Plan, there are four mediums and channels who are my collaborators. One of them can actually hear the conversations we had with each other in the pre-birth planning sessions. There's a second medium who is able to channel people's souls, people's higher selves. Uh, a third is very gifted at channeling angels, some of whom serve as guides to people once they're embodied. And the fourth collaborator in the first book uh, channels uh, the deceased, people on the other side. 
So I would speak with all of these various non-physical beings and ask, what did somebody plan? And why did they make those plans? And the people I interviewed for the book were people who faced very common life challenges because I wanted the books to help as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in Your Soul's Gift, there are two new uh, channels, uh, a woman in Michigan who channels an ascended master named Aaron. He has access to the Akashic Record, which is how he finds out what someone planned. Mm -hmm. And then there's a medium or a channel in the Netherlands who channels Jesus. And that gave me the opportunity to talk with Jesus directly and again ask what was planned and why. So the format for the books is that I would interview somebody, again, about a very common challenge. That person would then have one, two, or sometimes three sessions with the mediums in which we would ask spirit, did this person plan this experience before he or she was born? And if so, why? And then in the books, I present all the information that came through. Mm -hmm. And those, yeah, those sessions were really powerful. And I have to say, you know, reading the perspective of, you know, Aaron and Jesus were just really so moving and so beautiful. And yeah, I have so many highlights in my book. It's, <laughs> it's pretty powerful. Um, does everyone have a pre-birth plan? And then can it change? I believe that everybody does have a pre-birth plan. Yeah. Uh, some are more specific and detailed than others. Some are left more, a little bit more open-ended than others. But as far as I know, everybody has one. Uh, and they get amended all the time in, in two primary ways. Uh, the first is when you are asleep at night, you leave the physical body in your spirit or etheric body and you travel back over to the other side. And the main thing you do there is you get together with the other significant people in your life and you ask basically one question, which is, are we learning what we came here to learn? If the answer is yes, then carry on. If the answer is no, then you talk about what kind of changes you need to make to the plans so that you can learn what you came here to learn. Uh, the other way, main way in which plans are changed is through uh, prayer, speaking with spirit, your intentions. If you simply say to your guides, things are too difficult, I'd like it to be easier, Generally, that request is agreed to, unless it's very, very important for your evolution to continue experiencing whatever the difficulty is. So can we talk about you know, what the place that free will has within the pre-birth planning? Yeah, this is an important point because a lot of times when people who have not read Your Soul's Plan or Your Soul's Gift hear that it's all about how we plan our lives before we're born, they incorrectly conclude that I'm saying that everything is predestined or set in stone. Mm. That is not what planned means. With very few exceptions, planned means planned as a potential, a probability, sometimes a very high probability, but it's a potential. There are a small number of things that are set in stone. For example, uh, your choice of parents. Obviously, once you're born, you can't change your choice of parents. <laughs> Or if you plan to be born with a physical handicap that can't be treated by medical science in the time period in which you're incarnating, which is something you would know before you come into body, then short of what we call a miracle, you will have that handicap for the duration of that lifetime. But these kinds of things that are set in stone are few and far between. Most, almost everything else is set up as a potential of some kind. And whether or not it actualizes depends upon your free will choices. 
So you might think of a life plan as having a broad framework and you cannot go outside the framework that has been established. But within that framework, you have total free will and your specific free will decisions determine whether or not certain plan challenges come into your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of a choose your own adventure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're on a ride and I'm on a ride and we're both choosing our own adventure. You know, one of the things, one of the feelings that I got from reading, you know, the book was the feeling of compassion. And I think that I struggle sometimes with understanding the difference between sympathy and compassion. And I think that, you know, when I, you know, I, after I read the book, I saw somebody walking and they had a disability. And I remember feeling compassionate for that soul choosing that journey. And it was a really interesting experience to understand that that soul chose that for whatever reason, you know, within that was the framework that they chose. We know that we have free will and we have all these opportunities to kind of change, you know, the shift in the course of our life. But I wanted to talk about karma in relation to our pre-birth plan. And, you know, one of the, I was under the impression from reading in the book that, you know, we set up our own karmic lessons they're not given to us you know without our input and our say is that right that is my understanding um there is some dispute about that depending upon the sources that you read but my understanding is that karma is essentially a feeling of incompletion uh, a simple example would be let's say that there are two souls who had a past life in which one was ill and the other person was that person's caregiver. When those two people transition back into spirit after the end of that lifetime and have a life review, as we all do, they may or may not have a sense of completion or incompletion around the caregiving relationship. If they feel complete with it, then there is no karma and they move on to something else. If they feel incomplete or unbalanced with the caregiving relationship, the feeling of incompletion, as I understand it, is the karma. So let's say they feel incomplete. How do they balance the karma? Well, the easiest thing to do is simply to trade places. So the one who was ill plans the life challenge of caregiving. The caregiver plans the life challenge of physical illness. But again, it's, it's up to those individuals. They're not told you have karma here. They decide we're complete or we're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in a little while, too, I want to talk to you a bit more about, you know, the point of it all, because it does seem a bit unfair that we have to go through some of these experiences, I must say. Um, so I would like you to shed some light on that. But before that, I think it's important for people who haven't read the book yet, and I will put a link for them in the show notes because you, you need to read them, just about how the process works. So you did talk about, you know, the channels, you know, being able to listen to the pre-birth planning session. So can you kind of recap a little bit about how it actually happens because you've made reference there to past lives as well. It's just kind of a lot, you know, at one time for somebody who might not be familiar with these concepts to get. Well, the process varies a little bit depending upon which particular medium or channel uh, the interviewee and I are working with. Mm -hmm. But the basic process is that, um, the medium or channel brings through some non-physical being, which could be an angel, a spirit guide, a deceased loved one, 
an ascended master like Aaron or Jesus. And then we ask whoever it is that we're talking to, uh, did this person plan this particular experience? If they did, why did they plan it? And we ask every other question we can think of about why somebody would want to have a painful or challenging experience. So the, the intentions of the work are one, to help people awaken, by which I mean come into some sense that you are more than your body, more than your personality, that you're actually an eternal soul. Mm -hmm. uh, two, to heal from your biggest challenges. And three, to understand the deeper spiritual meaning and purpose of your biggest challenges, which in fact is a large part of the healing process. Mm -hmm. So is it that, you know, the souls, so where, where do the souls live? You know, where are these conversations had and where are these decisions being made? The soul, as I understand it, is a vast, multidimensional being. So the personality, you and me and everybody listening to the podcast, we are a portion of our soul's energy placed into a physical body. But the soul itself is multidimensional, uh, a vast, vast energy field. Uh, as I understand it, there's no physical space on the other side. That's an aspect of the third dimension, but it's not an aspect of the higher dimensions. So when you ask, where are these conversations taking place? Uh, the question itself it really doesn't make sense and is impossible to answer from the perspective of spirit. Uh, from a human perspective, part of the conversation is taking place in the third dimension, but to say where the soul is, uh, we can't really talk about the soul in terms of physical space. Right. Okay. And there's quite a lot of things that our human minds can't comprehend. You know, I know I did read about how, you know, we can be existing in multi-dimensions at one time and stuff like that. And, you know, there was a reference that said, it's not important that you try to figure this out. So I think, you know, it's funny because our analytical minds sometimes want to go, yeah, but I want to know more. How exactly does it work? And, you know, sometimes the thoughts are, are the, you know, the ideas just, it is what it is because we just can't comprehend it. Okay. So I guess the way that I understood it is that, that I believe that we're a human body and we have a soul. And when we die or when we sleep, you know, we can leave our body and we have conversations somewhere. And, you know, those conversations essentially are part of, you know, working on our current framework our current, you know, choose your own adventure plan, or they're set up before we come here. So, you know, is that sort of your understanding also? That's basically correct. Yeah. So in the book, you talked about the three layers to the soul. You talked about the spirit self, the soul self, and the earthly personality. Do you think you could shed some light a little bit on those three concepts? Yeah, this is a concept that was given to me by Jesus in one of the channeling sessions. And basically what he says is, as you just said, there are three layers to the universe, to existence, uh, the quote-unquote lower layer, and when we say lower, I mean lower in frequency or vibration. I don't mean worse. It's not a, a judgmental or hierarchical, hierarchical term. The lower of the three would be the human dimension, where you and I are here as personalities and bodies. And then if you go up a very big step in frequency or vibration, you get to the level of the individuated soul. I conceive of the individuated soul as a spark of God. That's the term I always use. A small portion of God's energy spun off from source. And then if you go up uh, another big jump in frequency, you get to a level at which all of us are one. 
and there's really only one being in existence, uh, it appears to us, given the limitations of the five senses, that there are many, many beings in existence and that each one of us is separate from the others. But at the highest level, uh, that actually is not true as I understand it. There's really just one being in, in existence and that is God or source uh, experiencing life from a vast array of viewpoints uh, through each one of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'd like to read an excerpt from the book because I struggled with this part and I was wondering if you could maybe help me figure it out. So basically, um, this excerpt was taken from the pre-birth planning process and it says, eventually your soul will long for a new physical life and the creation of a new personality begins. If it is time for you to reincarnate, your energy seeds forms the core of the new personality, which is who you will be in your next life. This personality is genuinely new. Who you will be in your next life is not who you are now. Just as who you are not now is who you were in another incarnation. The creation of a new personality is a sacred birthing that is accomplished not by your soul alone, but rather by your soul in partnership with spirit. So I guess when I read that, I feel that my ego had a hard time understanding that because, you know, I'm under the impression that our ego is always trying to survive, right? That's why it keeps us out of fear situations. And I think kind of keeps us as a smaller self. So when I read that, I was under the impression that myself as I am, and that being said, I am familiar with my identity and, you know, I, I have read Eckhart Tolle's work and he talks a lot about, you know, the personality and these aspects that we take on. And I get that, but I guess I felt like I really don't exist in the way that I understand. And it made me feel confused. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's accurate to say that we don't exist in, in the way most of us think of ourselves. Uh, and this is a, a very difficult concept to wrap one's mind around. Yeah. Uh, the way I conceptualize it is that each one of us has what you could call an eternal core, uh, which is similar to what some people refer to as a soul archetype. So souls fall into certain archetypal categories like priest, king, warrior, and so on, artisan. And depending upon your soul's archetype, you will have certain qualities or characteristics that go along with that kind of archetype. That's your eternal core. That goes with you from incarnation to incarnation. But in each lifetime, wrapped around the eternal core, there are different personality traits and quirks and characteristics that are unique to that lifetime and have to do with your DNA from your parents, the conditioning that you receive in the time period that you've chosen to incarnate in. Uh, and then when you leave the lifetime, you shed these personality characteristics that were unique from that lifetime and you return to spirit as the eternal core. Right. Okay. So it's almost as though we take on these personalities to, you know, live out the experience or to learn the things or to teach the things that we need to do. And we, we have the personality and the, the mannerisms and whatever that's going to help us with that process. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good way to put it. You, you might think of it as an actor who over a course of a career plays many different roles. Yeah. The actor would be comparable to the eternal core, 
and the different roles the actor plays would be comparable to the different personalities in each lifetime. Right. Okay. So when I read the book, I was left with the impression that, you know, my, my soul and recognizing we're all one. I, I heard you when you said that, but my soul is wanting to grow on some level, learn things. And basically I'm here acting that out. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I just, I feel on some level that, you know, but why, why should I have to, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're, you're, you are transmitting, everybody is transmitting back to their soul everything that they learn here. And as we become more loving people, that raises the frequency of our souls. So the soul as I understand it, and this also comes from one of the conversations with Jesus, uh, is not all light and love. It's a combination of light and darkness, and it's engaged in an evolutionary process in which it's clarifying or purifying. In other words, moving from a combination of light and dark to greater and greater light, uh, and eventually to all light. But in order to do that, one way of doing that is to have personalities or incarnations on earth or other physical planes in which the personality has certain experiences that trigger certain growth, uh, depending upon how they respond to the experiences. And that becomes part of the soul and it helps the soul to move from, again, a combination of light and dark to greater light. Yeah. Okay. I want to read from the book again, if that's okay. You know, one part you say only the courageous plan fear. And you know, the, the excerpt is resistance to life and the challenges it offers often manifest in an attitude of I'm going to beat this thing. If you decree to the universe that you're going to beat anything, you have commanded the universe to deliver to your doorstep more of what you do not want. So when challenges come, like you were talking about, you know, when we have that sort of when we have to work through that dark to find more light, you know, I, we hear it all the time here on earth, which is about, oh, we're going to fight that, or we're going to beat that, or we're going to fight. So can you talk to me a bit about, you know, I guess your thoughts in relation to working through challenging situations and how you can almost take on the attitude of compassion and love and surrender as opposed to the resistance yeah, first I want to say that resistance to suffering is a very natural human response. Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to judge yourself for going into resistance. Just understand that it's very normal and very natural. But it's actually counterproductive uh, because, number one, the resistance creates even more suffering than whatever the life challenge is creating on its own. And number two, it's, it's counterproductive because in order to fight something or to beat something, you obviously have to focus on it. You have to pay attention to it. Well, a basic law of the universe is that whatever you focus on increases because you're giving it energy as you focus on it. So the best way to uh, move beyond life challenges is what you just said, and that is surrender. Uh, and surrender involves faith and trust. You might think of it as like you come upon um, a river and you put yourself into the river and you're floating and just allowing the river to carry you. When you first put yourself into the river, that's a gesture of faith. You have faith that the river is going to carry you where you want to go. Now, in order to fully surrender to whatever is going on, 
you then also need trust. Your trust that the river is going to carry you where you want to go keeps you in the river. If you don't trust, you're going to swim to the shore and take yourself out of the flow. So if you have faith and trust, that will allow you to remain in a state of surrender. And that is the, the least painful way to negotiate a life challenge. Yeah, it's true. When things flow, I'm sure, you know, our listener at home understands the difference between resisting what is and going with the flow. When I was reading the book, I felt that, you know, the the common thread throughout it was a lot about, you know, compassion and love and healing. And, you know, I guess I wanted to know if you thought that, you know, as you know it, the pre-birth planning of the souls that maybe you've worked with, or, you know, just your insight, whether or not they're all connected through a similar thread, such as healing, or whether or not, you know, you're on a journey that's really unique to you separate from me, knowing we're one. (laughs) As I understand it, they, they are, all life plans are connected by a common thread. And the common thread is that we are here learning lessons in how to better give and receive love. You know, as you read the stories in the two books, there are many, many different lessons being learned by the people whose stories are in the books. But when you distill all of those stories down, Mm -hmm. the underlying theme that connects all of them, they're learning lessons in how to give and receive love. Yeah. So how do you think people find out, you know, why they're here and what their purpose is, or, you know, is it enough to be fueled by love, by understanding, well, what would love do in this situation, for example? Asking that question is a great way to to make a decision. If you ask that question every time you have to make a decision, and then you actually do whatever the answer is that comes to mind, you will magnificently and beautifully fulfill your pre-birth plan. Uh, That's the highest vibrational life you can possibly live. Uh, but to come back to your original question, how do you find out what your purpose and plan are? There are a lot, a surprising large number of ways to do that. Uh, I'll start by talking about one that I offer as a hypnotist, and that is a between-life soul regression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a form of hypnosis in which we start by going through some preliminary relaxation steps, physical and mental. And then I guide my clients into a past life. It's almost always a past life that had a big impact on a plan for the current lifetime. The client will experience several different scenes in the past life, the last one of which is the death scene. Their consciousness leaves the death scene in the past life and crosses back over to the other side, which I realize might sound a little bit ominous, but there's actually nothing to it. It's very safe and easy and natural and gentle. When they get to the other side, Most people are greeted by a spirit guide, although it could be a deceased loved one, an angel, a spiritual figure of significance, a master. But whoever they're greeted by, uh, we talk with that being briefly about why they were shown that particular past life and how it's related to the life plan in the current lifetime. And then we ask that being to take people to what is called the Council of Elders. The council consists of the very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who oversee reincarnation on earth. They know everything about you, everything about every past life you've had, and everything about the plan for your current lifetime. So when people get in front of the council, they can ask literally any question they have on any subject, and if it's for their highest good, the council will answer the question. Mm -hmm. 
The council can tell you what you planned, why you planned it, how you're doing in terms of fulfilling your plan, how you can better fulfill your plan, the meaning of every challenge that you have faced or are currently facing. Uh, and often the council will bring in one or more deceased loved ones. And if you have any unfinished business with them, you have an opportunity to tell them that you love them, tell them that you forgive them, ask them for their forgiveness. So it's potentially a transformative experience. And people come out of that kind of session saying, I have no more questions about my life. They answered every question I asked. Wow. One of the things that, you know, I got from, from that book was just, you know, the compassion and the understanding and the non-judgment. And I think you just talked about it a bit there where, you know, when you go in and you ask for forgiveness and you, you know, ask for clarity on these, on things in your life. And, and, um, you know, even if you are reviewing or looking at the decisions that you've made in your life that, you know, really it's a place of, of no judgment. And I think that on earth, we do that all the time. We're so hard on ourselves all the time that it's just, you know, I know you said in the book that, or someone said it might not have been you, but just about how brave souls are who come to earth and to experience this. And how has this sort of work changed the way that you view the world, understanding that there's this, this other place with no judgment? I mean, do you have access to that whenever you want? And how has it affected, you know, the way that you live here? Well, it's had a profound impact on my life in a couple of ways. One is uh, when something challenging happens, uh, I may for some period of time feel victimized, but not nearly as long as I used to before I started to do this kind of work. I can get myself out of that place much faster mm -hmm. uh, and get to the deeper meaning much faster. And then I ask myself, well, if I planned this experience before I was born, why might I have done that? And so it immediately takes me to that place of deeper meaning. And then once I have an answer to that question, I can go about learning the lessons in a much more conscious manner. It's also profoundly impacted the way I look at other people. Uh, for, you mentioned somebody, for example, with a handicap. Yeah. You know, when I see people who are profoundly handicapped or going through any kind of life challenge, I think to myself, and I literally have this thought, there is a very courageous soul. It took a lot of courage to plan that. And so it fills me with respect for people who previously I might actually have felt sorry for. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. And I felt that as well. And I think that, you know, when you, yeah, it just adds a total different level of respect is the perfect word for that. Actually I thought originally it was compassion. Maybe it is as well, but it's respect and almost awe in the bravery of that soul. And very often they might not even know how brave they are. You know, uh, shortly after my first book came out, uh, somebody posted a review on Amazon. It was written by a school teacher uh, here in the United States in Florida, I believe. Uh, this is a person who teaches handicapped kids. And she said that before she read Your Soul's Plan, uh, she often felt sorry for her own students. And after reading it and understanding that they planned their handicaps, she was just filled with compassion and respect for them. And she said it made her a better teacher and completely changed the way she looked at and interacted with the children in her classes. And when I read that review on Amazon, 
uh, it was deeply gratifying to me because that was exactly the reason I wrote the book. That was the effect I was yeah. hoping to have. That gave me goosebumps when you said that, because you know what that would have inevitably empowered them in a way she, she would have looked at them. Yeah. With that respect level and that, that bravery level, you know, that I think that we're missing. I do want to talk a bit about victim consciousness in the book. It says a great shift in consciousness is now occurring on our planet. This shift depends completely upon those, those of us who are in body to raise our vibration, which means quite simply being the most loving people we can be. Now at the time of recording, we're dealing with some pretty big unrest in the world. Uh, we're coming, well, you're in the States, I'm in Australia. So in Australia, we're coming out of the COVID-19 restrictions and things in the States. I think you're still sort of in the middle of that. And the Black Lives Matter movement is really growing so I wanted to know if you had some thoughts or some insights on these shifts happening. Well, let me talk about a victim consciousness first, because this is a, a very important subject. You know, when you feel or believe yourself to be a victim of life's challenges, that means that you are vibrating at the frequency of victim, which as I understand it is literally the lowest frequency a human being can be at. So when you vibrate at the frequency of victim, you are energetically stating to the universe that you are a victim. Well, whatever energetic statement you make to the universe, the universe always responds in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. It always responds by saying, yes, that's right, you are. So if you state energetically to the universe that you're a victim, the universe says, yes, that's right, you are a victim. And then it brings to you more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are in fact a victim. Yeah. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is to understand that you are the courageous soul who planned the challenges. Once you know that, that lifts you out of victim consciousness. It's a huge jump in frequency or a vibration. And then you aren't attracting more experiences that could possibly make you feel victimized. In relation to that, you do talk about your ability to choose. And I think that what you just said is so critical because when you're in a victim mentality, you're not feeling that you are in control. You're feeling that all oh, the world is out to get you, or it's that person's fault, or why me, you know, the small part of you. And what you just said is so important and profound because once you realize that you've chosen the situation that you're in for whatever reason, it puts you in the driver's seat again to co-create and to you know really shift that well then that that's exactly right and yeah. it, it takes that locus of control and instead of it being external it's now internal and that makes all the difference yeah yeah so anyway let's go back to the question of you know the shifts that are happening in the world right now i'm really interested in hearing your perspective on that well COVID 19 uh, i think the major spiritual lesson it's teaching us is that we are all one. We are a collective. We're not a bunch of uh, separate individuals. We, we are a collective consciousness here on Earth. So you have the whole planet experiencing this pandemic, and it's, real, it's making people realize that we have a lot in common with each other. Mm -hmm. Again, that we're a collective. And that's the kind of consciousness that is needed to ascend into the fifth dimension, which is where we're headed at the moment. And in terms of Black Lives Matters and uh, George Floyd's uh, murder here in the United States, yeah. uh, 
where a police officer knelt on the back of his neck for nine minutes, I believe, and he suffocated. Uh, I actually read in a channeling just a few days ago that when George Floyd crossed over to the other side, he was greeted by both John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King and was congratulated by them for his service to the world. Mm. And also that because of that service that he performed, he no longer needs to reincarnate again. So I imagine that this was an option in his pre-birth plan. And at a soul level, it was chosen. It, it became more than a potential. It became an actuality. Uh, and although a very painful experience for him and his family at the third dimensional level, it's something that from a higher perspective, uh, is really bringing through quite a bit of love and light and I think pushing us in a direction that we very much needed to go in. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, reading your book at this time as well for myself, it, you know, you can't have these sort of conversations with everyone that it just, they're not everyone's ready to have this conversation, but you know, for you and I, we can talk about it for our listener at home listening, you know, I, when I heard of that, like when that story happened or that it's happening, I thought of that soul in that exact way. I thought, wow, how brave and powerful and courageous of a decision that soul made to ignite, you know, to go through that and then be the spark that ignited that, um, that movement. And here's something else to think about in regard to George Floyd's uh, killing. Uh, I don't know this for a fact because I haven't researched it, but it's very possible that he and the, the four police officers who were involved in that all got together before any of them were born. Yeah. Everybody chooses a mission. They may have looked at the earth and said, at this point in linear time, uh, racial discrimination is a big issue. We would like to do something about that. And they may have scripted this entire event. Now, it's also possible that the police officer who killed him did so out of fear or anger, and that it was not part of a pre-birth plan. But it could easily have been part of a pre-birth plan in a form of service. So it's very important not to go into judgment about the police officers who are involved, because we don't know exactly what was going on there. Yeah. Well, I think probably, you know, as much as you can, not going into judgment about anything. You know, I guess it's interesting to me, because when I think of big situations or big events like that, like um, the police officer murdering George Floyd, I, I automatically would assume, like possibly wrongly, that that would have been part of a rebirth plan because it's such a monumental thing. But are you under the impression that we can have big events that happen in our life that actually aren't part of our pre-birth plan? That is possible. Uh, you can make fear-based decisions that were not anticipated prior to birth, or that were anticipated but seen as a very low probability. Right. Um, the soul's hope is always that you are going to make the highest vibrational decision. In other words, the most loving decision in any and all circumstances. Uh, but you can go in the other direction. You can use your free will to do that. Uh, and so the, the phrase I use in one of my books is um, some lifetimes are crash and burn lifetimes in which the personality makes very unloving decisions. The pre-birth intentions of the soul are not fulfilled because of those decisions. And so it's essentially a crash and burn lifetime. 
Now, the important thing there to understand is that when that personality transitions back to the other side, there's no judgment at all. The soul will have a sense of incompletion and will have a desire for reincarnation to wrap up those lessons. But the personality is not judged by the soul or by the guides or by anybody on the other side. It's just viewed as incomplete learning. Right. One thing I really liked that you said earlier was, you know, talking about how we almost recalibrate or we look at the life, uh, our lives as they're happening, you know, in our sleep when we go and we rework them all the time. So I guess when these scenarios happen, you know, I'm, I'm kind of using this as an example. When I read the, um, the story of the suicide and Carolyn and basically her son committed suicide. And then it was about the healing that they had together. And then, you know, the fact that her life was now kind of moving into a different direction because she received that healing. So I guess my question is, you know, while these things continue to happen. So if you had an event that wasn't part of your pre-birth plan, there's a chance that that would set you on a different journey than when you were originally planned on going on. And then are you under the impression that that journey then has a whole series of probabilities and things that would happen as well, all with the desire of learning, growing, healing, you know, and being more expressive in love? To use um, a somewhat trite expression, the soul, as I understand it, is a master of making lemonade out of lemons. So if the personality makes some unanticipated fear-based decision that's going in the quote-unquote wrong direction, or some external event happens that seems to propel the person in uh, the quote-unquote wrong direction, the soul will find seemingly miraculous ways to work with that and make lemonade out of lemons. And a lot of this has to do with the guidance from somebody's spirit guides. They will work overtime, so to speak, to steer the person back onto a path in which they can learn and do what they came here to learn and do. And a lot of it will also come from impulses, internal impulses from the person's higher self, steering them in a direction, again, where they can learn and do what they came here to learn and do. As long as you are able to stay in the river and go with the flow, right. because you know that's where these things happen, where you're trying to be redirected. For example, I um, not to make it about me, but I lost my job through COVID nineteen. I'd been there for with the company almost seven years in that role for almost five years, and you know I know that it was divinely ordered for me to do that because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you, Rob, because I wouldn't have started this podcast you know, for example. And so I think that, you know, if you're able to recalibrate, understand there's a silver lining, grieve if you need to grieve, go through that. And then, you know, understand that there's something else waiting for you. If you just listen, you know, how do you listen a little bit more? Do you meditate? And does that help you to get quiet and to go with the flow? You know, how do you listen to that inner voice? I meditate almost every morning. I practice a form of meditation known as Vipassana meditation. Uh, which your listeners can Google if they're interested. Um, but I think meditation of any sort is very important. It's, it's so helpful just to get quiet, uh, go within, and receive guidance. And it's not so much that you're going to hear your guides talking to you in meditation, although certainly that could happen. But I think it, what's much more common is that the, the, when your mind is quiet, or relatively quiet, it gives your guides a chance to plant a seed. And then the seed will germinate some days, weeks, or months down the road. 
So if you go, if you start the meditation by asking a question and then let your mind get quiet, you may just suddenly come into some brilliant insight about the question some days or weeks later. You won't have any way to identify that the seed was planted weeks ago in a meditation. And that's okay. The guys don't need you to give them credit. But it will, in fact, have been planted then. And that's what makes meditation so valuable. Just before we wrap up, because we're kind of near the tail end of our hour together, I do want to read to you, you know, this beautiful part of the book, which says, life challenges bring you to the core of your soul's mission, which is always to help you raise your awareness, release judgment, and create an ever wider space of compassion for yourself and others. So what do you think, you know, the point of life is? I know that, you know, you talked about in the book challenges that you've gone through and how this kind of work really helped you to come to terms with those. Do you ever feel what is the point or is healing and love enough or? I, I think the point is what we talked about earlier, that, that we're all here learning lessons and how to better give and receive love. Um, yeah. In, in the books, I talk about the five main reasons for planning life challenges, uh, balancing and releasing karma, healing, service to others, experiencing contrast, correcting false beliefs about oneself. And we could spend an hour on any of the five, but when you boil yeah. each one of those five reasons down, it's all about giving and receiving love. And you know, the flow of love in the world is circular in nature. So if you cut the circle in half, half of it is giving love to other people. This is what we all believe is a good thing to do. And we all try to do that, but it's actually only half the circle. The other half of the circle is receiving love from other people. So if you're somebody who doesn't allow others to give love to you, you're actually blocking the flow of love in the world just as effectively as if you never give love to anyone else. So both are equally important and that ultimately is why we're here. Mm -hmm. Do you have, you know, any pieces of advice that you want to offer our listeners or any last impressions that you want to, you know, leave them with? I think the impression that I want to leave people with is just to really understand how courageous you are for planning a lifetime on earth and coming into body and then executing your life plan. As I understand it, earth is literally the most difficult planet in our universe on which to have an incarnation. And after you've had an incarnation here, it becomes part of what is called your energy signature. Your energy signature consists of a combination of your unique color and your unique sound. This is how beings recognize you in the non-physical realm. Names are not important the way they are here. So after you've had a lifetime on Earth, it becomes part of your energy signature. So when you're traveling around the universe doing whatever it is you choose to do, other beings can see in your energy signature that you had an incarnation on Earth And as I understand it, they're filled with uh, respect and admiration and even awe because they know that Earth is the most difficult planet in the universe to have a lifetime on. So treat yourself with the same respect that these beings treat you in the non-physical realm and understand that the simple fact that you're here in a body on planet Earth automatically places you among the most courageous beings in the entire universe. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do want to read one more thing. I mean, I got to say, I know I read a fair amount from your book, but I, it was very difficult for me to narrow it down to the small excerpts that I've chosen because I have about 50 or hundred, but I love 
you know, what you say um, in your soul's gifts on page 110. And it says, you are all invited to trust life, which requires that you surrender to life and let go of control. This is difficult for humans, but there is a divine guidance that is more wise and gentle than your human sense of control. Try to feel it and count the blessings in your life, for they are testimony to this loving and guiding hand. You are not alone. Powers of love and kindness surround you and wish to help you to live the most fulfilling life possible. That's so beautiful. And I think that for me, you know, as I navigate through life and, you know, maybe our listener at home can connect to this. You know, sometimes I feel that I don't want to have to go through hard things. (laughs) I want it to be easy, please. But I think that, you know, when we're reminded that we're not alone and when we have people like you that are giving us material uh, to expand our awareness and help us connect to the one and to the guides that are there to support us, it does remind us that, you know, it's, we're here for a mission And like you said, we're brave and courageous and we can do it, you know? And and I think that if we continue to receive and give love that that we can do it, you know, I want to thank you so much for being here today. I know that, um, you know, you are doing a bunch of workshops around the world. And if people want to get a hold of you, they can just go to your website, um, your event section. Do you do your in-between live sessions, Rob, online, or do you have to be in person to get those done? Uh, actually, except for the group between lives regression that we do in the workshop, all of the one-on-one private sessions are done remotely, either by telephone or by okay. Skype. Uh, it actually works just as well that way as in person. And I think for many people, it's better to do it that way because the key to the whole thing is to relax deeply enough to go into trance. And the average person relaxes yeah. more deeply in the comfort and familiarity of their own home. So I actually stopped doing in-person one-on-one sessions because I find it actually works better doing it remotely. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. If you're in your comfort zone, you're in your safe spot, which is great. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I know you're working on another book. I am um, hopefully out within the next year or so. Okay. Fabulous. Well, definitely look out for that. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review where you get your podcasts. And be sure to share it with your friends. Thanks.